Welcome to another episode of, and it's been a little while, I think, but that's only because we were waiting. I think we were waiting for the apocalypse to start. We should have really done apocalypse now, then. Um, <laughs> we should have done. You know, why wait for the rush? And uh, now, as, as we're in the, um, you know, in our own bedrooms and lounge rooms or whatever, watching um, the virus pass by. Yes, um, and waiting and waiting for zombies. I mean, that would be the next thing, won't it? You know that. Well, if, if God doesn't have enough things to do, he's he's going to send us flesh eating uh, zombies. Uh, anyway, mm. yes. Well, I mean, you know, but most of the AF crowd, AFL crowds aren't going to the games at the moment. So, oh, you mean actual zo- zombies? <laughs> Sorry, no, no I'm I saying thought... that. I'm talking about them too. But we you know the, the professional <laughs> zombies. I still walking about oh, anyway, yeah. and and <laughs> and, right. and for our international viewers and listeners, of course, the AFL is our football. So the NFL would do just the same for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, right. Don't need to be walking around with helmets on, uh, but there'd still be zombies, <laughs> and they still have nothing to do, and they'd still be getting <laughs> half or a, 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 even a fraction of their wage, which is uh, twenty-five times more than I'll ever make in my life. Well done. But it's funny because they eat brains, but they're wearing helmets. Is there is that irony somewhere in that? Uh, I, I don't Maybe. know. I, look, I, I think we're post irony now. Um, you, know, so, <laughs> you know, in the apocalypse, <laughs> irony doesn't count anymore. You know, uh, we, I mean, we can talk about the apocalypse all night. I mean, uh, you know, there are well, we so can. many apocalyptic movies, but uh, and we're not doing apocalypse now. We're going to do another Francis Ford Coppola movie. Um, we should, which, but we shouldn't. But we shouldn't tell anyone. No, we shouldn't. We play can't the game because the game is afoot. And we didn't play the game last last episode, and that's not fair on our listeners. Crikey. No, I mean they're all huddled they're around. To... Um, you know, yeah, more of them huddled know. around now because more of them are listening. They're swarming like zombies to our, our uh, podcast, and they're all rubbing their hands together, or what's you know the flesh off their hands, and um, and uh, yeah, wanting indeed. to know what the game is. What's the game? Well, I think vicariously or through some other means, they are kind of absorbing the substance of our brain. So that is got the, it's got the brain-eating dimension to it, I think. Um, if we're more serving it up. We're serving our brain to them, which um, I well, suppose... It's not a very big serving. Um, from, from what I'm led to understand by certain listeners of this program, the certain program, the brain is a very small... If our brains were to burst and, and make a mess, it would be a small one. But yeah, indeed. Um, it's uh, an entertaining small one. That's what I but, like to call myself. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't get diabetes or anything like that, though. That's, no. that's one good thing. I don't no. think... Well, I'm assuming my brain doesn't have a high sugar content. Uh, but, you know... I could be wrong. I have every reason to believe that's true, Adam. Um, and and <laughs> what I leave that to the, vis- the listeners um, out there, customers, um, will say, "What? How big is Adam's brain? And uh, could, you, could you take it home in a matchbox? Uh, we don't. That's know. right. Consult the dietitian. Yes. Would it fit? Uh, would anyway. it fit into an egg cup? Um, uh, <laughs> speculation only. If it was like an ostrich egg, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You're very right. precious about your brain. All right, what are we playing? We're playing the game. The game is what Let's is play the game? game. Adam? Oh, what is well, the game? You can you can put the first clue forward. You got to guess. Well, this is what's the scene, and you're listening to Adam Jacobs and John Hewitt. Pleased to meet you again and after a long apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic time. Um, it has. You're welcome. Well, we should probably be, uh, you know, suffering through the apocalypse with listeners uh, more frequently, I should think. I mean, 
that would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, supposedly the whole world's got more time on its hands. That's exactly right. I'm just in the spa now with a glass of champagne, just doing this and (laughs) and killing time. That's why you've got the sound like the bubbles are up your nose. Yeah. That's good. Well, all the, at, least, at least they're not in your lungs. And that's a tasteless, tasteless joke. Tasteless joke. Oh, and I, for anyone I, who has bubbles in their lungs, uh, please, um, you know, do not write in. See your, your um, the, go to the local. Lung doctor. The, near, the nearest cruise ship. No, that's wrong. Oh, oh no. Don't, oh, I know. Oh, very Lord. tasteless. Extremely tasteless. No. All right. Yes. Moving right along. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're going to play the game where we give uh, the listeners a few clues. And they have to then come forward with um, don't well in their own heads. Mm. They don't can't you can't ring. No, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't ring because my phone just gets jammed. All the lines are oh. jammed already. Remember that? Remember what happened last time? And oh. we got all those callers from Taiwan. I don't know what we said. That's but, right. The website crashed. Oh, that's right. And I thought something about reconstituted um, moped tires, but uh, I forget <laughs> exactly what the joke was now. <laughs> But uh, anyway, don't jam our I think lines. I remember that. My God. How my brain, <laughs> how your brain works. That's what I worry about. Anyway. Don't jam the lines. Don't jam the All lines. Right. So we're going to give you some clues and you've got to guess the film. And I suppose we can say 1970s-ish mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. desert ballpark. It's kind so of paranoid go... time. It's probably Nixon time. I'm thinking yeah. it's Nixon. I think Nixon actually gets mm. a mention here where everything's um, – I think the Watergate tapes are probably swirling around, you know, in Nixon's uh, jolly yep. uh, study in the Oval Office there and everyone's, everything's being taped for posterity and he's talking yeah. to uh, Kissinger and Kissinger's talking to him and everything's being recorded. That's a clue. That is a clue. Everything's being recorded. and Very nice, very nice. Now, Paranoia with a capital Noia. Mm. Um, I'm not, not sure if that's how you paranoia. Work, work that. Black, para- black, oh, it black is. Paranoia, really. Para- paranoia. Para- it's, um, it's very, that's one thing I thought is very washed out, the colours. Mm. In many scenes, in many ways, it's, uh, I think it was almost trying to be black and white, which mm. I kind of thought was interesting. But we'll get into the sort of pastiche kind of stuff which was, I wouldn't say parodied, but uh, appropriated. That's probably a better word. I think so. What else can we say? This this man uh, was uh, was obviously an excellent filmmaker. Shall we say who the director is? Is that giving it away? Or have we? I think we might have mentioned Corp Coppola already. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. It was a, I will say it's a little that, uh, thing he had um, in between um, uh, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, the Godfather, Godfathers. Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. And a really oddball mm. kind of um, excursion, if you ask me. Looking back, yeah, but that... I loved the film when I saw it. I never realised when I saw it that it was in between two of the biggest kind of blockbusters of that decade. Um, and mm. why would it be there? Um, obviously, he has... Um, he had an agenda. He wanted to create something about recording. And I think it was, it's a good thing when you've got yourself lined up to do these sequels that you break it up with some, something else. Yeah. It doesn't happen a lot with – well, maybe it does, actually. I don't know. But some film uh, production companies, they just really pump out the sequels. And I just don't know sometimes how um, – diversify their experiences from from one film to the other and mm. maybe that's why sequels these days well, don't always 
carry through. Well, this is it. But, and, um, and maybe after working with Marlon Brando in The Godfather Part 1, he had to take a big handful of Valium <laughs> and go back right. to a script that he knew and loved. And he could, he could make the film for... Um, you know what I usually say, ninety-eight dollars and thirty, you know, thirty-seven cents, and uh, yeah. coffee money. But he did actually enlist uh, a very good um, a bunch of his stable of actors. One being Gene Hackman. Well, now it's a big. That's a big hint, uh, and it's also Gene Hackman. Wow, he mm, what a monster! Was he ever in a Was he ever in a film where he didn't have the moustache? Good point. I think he was born with a moustache. If you see his um, two-month-old uh, baby pictures, it is a fully grown yeah. moustache. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes, that, I'll accept that mm. for sure. But he did have the choice at some point in his adult life or, or otherwise mm. to possibly remove it. But I see. I know that he had. He, he didn't always have it, but I, I think he has. Whenever I picture him in any film, yeah. I can't see him without it. That's right. You know what I mean? You need it. Um, and as mm. Pop, I don't know. when you Think of him as some of the great roles Popeye in uh, French Connection. I don't That's know. Right. if he Did he have it in there? I don't know. If it was in, in Superman as Lex Luthor, I don't think. Well, see, now did I don't think he, he did. Did he, was he, did, it, did he have it in Unforgiven, I, um, which well, I was I seeing? It's on picture, Netflix at the oh, moment. Yeah. Do watch it. Rush out and see it before they take it off. Uh, magnificent movie. Um, I don't Great know if he movie, had yeah. Oh, magnificent. Um, I think he did. Something we could do, uh, postmodern um, uh, um, cowboy movie in the future. It was. Yeah, it was a revisiting of a whole Absolutely. Genre, Actually, it? John Ford was doing that years before, but... I think that what we did, we went all the way around the block and then we ended up with Gene Hackman uh, in, the, in a postmodern uh, movie, which is very much like uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Anyway, that's, I digress. Um, I find this, or whenever when you talk mustaches, like, I, just, I just digress. Yes. Well, when we Unforgiven, I just imagine, um, uh, what's his name, Clint Eastwood, mm. has just been in the West the whole time. Yeah. Since the last movie he was in was, and just wandered around. And then the film crew arrived and I was like, oh, there's Denise. We were getting him in for this as well. That's so it, yeah. It's almost like he's just aged with the landscape. And uh, I suppose it's one of those things. Well, I think it makes the classic. It may have been his first it was directorial uh, um, uh, premiere. Western. No, I think he, he, oh, he directed right. it. And I think okay. that it won an Oscar. I don't know if he won one, but he may have something for the books. Uh, but a great movie, and um, oh, yeah. and and, uh, yeah. and really, it's not clunky. This film that we're going to do is a little clunky. It does uh, it reside is. in the seventies, eighties of clunkiness. It's a bit like Blow Up in the sixties, pushed up a bit. Like Antonioni builds his film over a, a, a photo that ends up being enlarged and uh, and um, blown up, as it as as is the case. This is a, a kind of a, an audio version of that. It's for the audio mm. files uh, where we are meant to fall into a recording and nut out uh, the, uh, the uh, implications. The, the context. Mm. Because it's all, a lot of it's just, we're slowly filling in like a picture, like a puzzle, you know, like everyone, like all the families are doing around the kitchen table at the moment. Yep. I, think, I think they've run out of, they've run out of toilet paper in Australia. We've run out of toilet paper. We've run out of tissues. We've run out of, wet wipes and we've run out of the rest of it. it was also run out of jigsaw puzzles i dream jigsaw of a puzzles. world where you could buy wet wipes uh, anywhere um, I, I would, that will I never would, return we're in a postmodern. we're really in a postmodern right. post wet wipe universe what about a wet jigsaw puzzle that'll be enough for me mm. 
I'm happy with that. Absolutely right. You can do it in the rain. We can't even do that no. now. No. But anyway, this is like a jigsaw puzzle, and we should tell everyone the film. I think we should tell everyone. It's a Francis Ford Coppola's The, the Conversation. The Conversation. And for those of you who are thinking, oh, this is one of those police interrogation films where we've got good cop, bad cop, and they're conversing with the bad guy for an hour and a half. No. No such luck. No. That's not what the conversation's about. No. The conversation is about um, fragments of someone else's conversation, which is taken at the very head of the movie after what I think is one of the nicest bits of uh, introduction of a of our um, hero, Gene Hackman, in a mm. San Francisco mall, um, the, the, the camera zooms in on a, a large square and uh, there is a mime uh, with white face uh, <laughs> taking over, you know, uh, people's walks and uh, copying it's them. Good. Uh, it's, it's a brilliant ruse because what it is, it's, it's something, funny. it's about copying. It's about uh, mimicking, and yeah. this mime is, uh, you know, miming d- different people's walks as they go through. And it's, it's about context, a- absolutely. And you know, we get into the idea that there's there's music there. It seems irrelevant, but suddenly Gene Hackman's there in his the coat that he lives in. It's just this dreary old coat that he has, and the mime follows him, and then we we have our hero, and it's really clever. Um, I've always been struck with that. I saw it years ago when possibly it was first, I don't think I was born then, but when it was first released, I was always impressed by the opening credits. Um, I, I suggest you watch the film, which you can on Netflix at the moment, from the very beginning. Do not miss that. Yeah, that's it's one of those films, possibly the beginning, where you watch it and go, oh, I think I've seen that before, and but whether you've seen the rest of the film all the way through remains to be determined. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's a very noticeable, and it's it's funny how he's the mime does this sort of mimicking, does this sort of parody, uh, establishing very early on the feeling of paranoia that more or less uh, exists throughout per- the whole thing. Permeates the movie, doesn't it? Um, mm. Mm. Which were, I think is wonderfully. I don't know. Who thought of that? Imagine Coppola thought of that. Maybe that's why I did the film. He thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to use a mind mm. to establish the paranoia vibe that I'm looking for. Yep. Oh, no, I'll write a whole different film <laughs> because it's not going to ever happen in The Godfather. Yes, well, that's true. Like, yes. And The Godfather never I mean, has... Son, Son, Sonny, Sonny could put his white face on and then, and then try and drive through the... Through the toll booth, I and the hail of bullets. Yeah, he didn't and have the to mind that. And... They, they did it for him. The, um, the other guys <laughs> yeah, uh, right. really. Um, he just sort of uh, was riddled with bullets, and that was it. But I would say, with this shot, though, it is a bit like a um, a large uh, gun uh, coming into a, uh, a situation. I mean, where you've got mm. uh, the situation with different people with guns aimed at these uh, uh, at the square or people therein, and it's a bit like that. You're very aware that you're following a camera. And that you're meant to be, you don't know where you've been guided until uh, Gene Hackman comes in. And you have to sort it out yourself the same way that, um, you know, Gene Hackman is sorting out the triangulation, I suppose, of the, of the different microphones. A bit like Daily Center and, you know, maybe a, a fellow with a gun looking for someone, um, say. Uh, that, um, that, again, this paranoia, you know, is in... Is in it builds the movie, uh, and he uh, mm. is going to be our paranoid uh, uh, hero. He's, um, he does the. Uh, he's got. He goes from concerned. He goes from sort of a, a feeling of kind of like 
deja vu, an ominous sense of deja vu to a kind of a genuine, flow, you know, fully blown um, feeling of paranoia, which where he feels that he has been compromised. And well, because because I, I love that, you know, we're seeing the, it's kind of like when you watch those movies, spy movies, mm. and, and the tech guy comes in with the recordings or the dude who knows how to play well, yeah, actually, videos. Well, let's, let's not get ahead the, of ourselves. The, what, what we've the got CCT to... videos. Yeah, yeah but... You know, it's kind of like, well, what's his story? What's the dude sitting at the yeah. television? Yeah, yeah. What's his story? Yeah. That's what this was about. This the whole movie's about. Yeah, the, but the thing is that I, I think in that first establishment, uh, we haven't even decided what, what uh, scene we're doing. I think we have. Oh well, that's right. But the, we're going to do the girl, aren't we? We are going to do the girl. But the um, the yeah. the trick with this though is that you you, you see him going through and uh, and the, the our two characters who are being bugged, male and female. We may as well give a bit of context to this because a lot of people won't have seen this film, and if they haven't turned off already, well done. Um, <laughs> so they they're having they're having their uh, conversation bugged, and it's an attractive girl with uh, someone who looks like the fellow who owns Microsoft. And uh, they're going through, uh, wandering through. And then Gene Hackman goes into his um, minivan or whatever, which is full of uh, recording gear. And then you say, aha, that's what he's about. He is there in order to do a professional job. And in that uh, van is one of my favourite actors. I'm going to forget his name. What is his name? Um, Kazal. Kazal. And of course, he was one of the stable, wasn't he? He was in all the Godfathers as the as the younger brother, um, who he said, was, "I was um, so mad at you, um, Fredo, Fredo, Fredo. Uh, what a great actor!" Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, well, so Al Pacino says to him, uh, "Fredo, you're my brother, and I love you, but don't ever go against, mm. don't, don't ever side with someone else against the family again." Mm. Is that the one? That's where the he, one. And Mo Green gets. That's right. Gets, yeah. um, and he's on the boat at the end. Um, you know, it's a pl- actually plot spoilers. We have them for all films. Um, and, he, <laughs> and he's saying his prayers. And I think it's very sad. Uh, he is. He's wonderful. Um, he's wonderful in The Deer Hunter. Um, yes, you know, um, um, I think Meryl Streep uh, was married or very close to him. Um, and, uh, what a great actor taking. Dog Day Afternoon. He always plays oh, these hopeless dog types. Day afternoon. Hopeless types. He goes in there because he wants so the sex change. That's why he's gone into the uh, to the bank uh, heist. Uh, he is a, a man of uh, infinite talent. Take it too early. Yeah. Yes. 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 Indeed. Absolutely. But by some obscure uh, medical issue that he had, mm-hmm. which um, wasn't very called, pleasant at called all. Called death. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Uh, one and all to plague times. Uh, yes, get used to it. So it has got him in it, and he's um, he does a very good job. And he's he's that same sort of tragic figure that's a little bit needy mm. and a little bit of yep. an attention seeker. And and uh, it, his loyal his loyalties are, are com- easily compromised. Yeah, so it's, it's nice hmm. in terms of it being like a nice little three hander type kind of story. It it does work quite well in that way. Mm. Um, because it's got a very strong cast, and I think it might have been a, a little bit more clunky, possibly, if it wasn't for that. Well, for it'd that be factor. really clunky if it weren't for Gene Hackman and Kazali. Oh, um, absolutely, there are some because um, Gene. I reckon Gene Hackman must have been thinking to himself at some point, "Geez, they're they're bloody lucky they got me yes, for this film." Absolutely right, and he's such a giant uh, as an actor. He is one of my favourite actors because he's so intelligent. You can watch him act. You can watch him think, 
while uh, he's on screen. Not a lot of people do that. Clint Eastwood just looks concerned. You know, certain, <laughs> certain people do certain things and they think, oh, this will do. Um, but Gene Hackman, you can actually see wheels go around. I think that's a very good um, attribute for a... Uh, and he, do- an and he doesn't do a lot either. And that's why I sort of think with this film, it was maybe Coppola's chance to kind of see that, see more of that... Um, uh, Eliza, was that is, is Eliza Kazan? Who's that? Eli- yeah, uh, Elijah um, Kazan. Yeah, he did on the waterfront. The, yes, yeah. The um, and then the, it came all came out of the actor's studio, didn't it? With the uh, um, Kazansky. What's that guy's name? That act that um, oh, Stanislavski. Mm. That whole the method, you know, yep. method, all that sort of stuff. Which I think so Brando, I sort of... Brando had in spades. I, you know, is he awake? You know, poke him, <laughs> make him act. Well, I think he wanted, I think Coppola, I think he wanted to do his kind of, his own version of that somehow. I, so, so I feel this film. I agree. Yeah, sort absolutely. Of like, mm. Kind of like a test for, a, for an acting uh, kind of approach that it just feels like that. And I think, so that's why I think he's very deliberately picked actor, an actor like uh, Gene Hackman, mm. because Gene doesn't do a lot. You know, he's, he's very... He doesn't have to do a great deal. No, you know. but he has a, has a quirky smile, um, which always suggests uh, he, he's in the know. Well, he is because he's read the script. But he's uh, in, in certain <laughs> movies, um, he's always, um, you know, um, uh, out, out to solve and knows what to do next. In this one, though, it's, uh-huh. it's taken away because the character that he's given, <clears throat> this is the thing, um, he's such a powerful man as an actor but the character that has been given him is a bit of a weedy um, um, uh, nuff-nuff in some ways. Emotionally, he's absolutely uh, a shell. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's, he's sort of going through a crisis of sorts. Well, I think his life he is a crisis, he's, he's... Um, uh, you know, for reasons that we'll discuss later on when mm. the, the bar scene goes on. But, you know, at the start, even with Kazali in the van, he's saying, you've work is sloppy, you know, and all that sort of business. You, you know, yeah. he's, he's always there, absolutely professional. And you know these people, when they're absolutely professional and they, they're just ho- so honed in on the job so far, you know that there's something wrong with them. Absolutely. They're going to be... They're going to suffer at the at the consequences of their own uh, their own industry. You know, like mm. it's like when you meet, you know when you talk to some doctors. No offense to doctors who are listening right now, but maybe there's maybe there's a little bit of a little bit of lessonage. Is that a word? Lessonage. That, yes, um, I, I might... think so. It's post. We're in a postmodern world. Lessonage yeah, is, yeah. It's going to work for me. To some let let me teach you something mm-hmm. um, that you spend too long in your heads in the book. If you miss out on learning a bit of the socialisation stuff, absolutely right. And, uh, and we do find out it's called it's called <laughs> bedside manner, and that's what this this character has. He doesn't have any. No, and like, what's uh, more, he's you know, so private. Even, he has a, in his in his professional life, he doesn't have any. He's alienating his workers. His work right. And then in his private life, he certainly has none. Well, this, I think it's what is uh, you know a, a, a salient detail as he goes back to his flat after giving Kazali a bit of a you know hands off. You know, how do you do this? You know, mind your own business. He won't tell anyone. He's so private. He won't tell anyone his secrets. Why not? I mean, because he's he's an absolute master of of bugging. Anyway, he goes back to his place and there's a present inside his door. And you think, ah, oh, it's a bit like, uh, uh, you know, you've, you've, he's got four locks on there. He, he turns the last one on and the alarm's off and then there's a bottle of wine there on his, on his. And I think that's a hilariously funny. 
because he just has a, a, a meltdown right on the spot and rings up his landlord and says, how did that wine get here? <laughs> We've got all four oh, no. That's good, isn't it? That's, that's a nice little... Uh... <laughs> that's, a, that's a lovely little moment, that conversation. In fact, that's a scene that's almost worth Well, doing, actually, we should I... do that scene. In fact, we're doing the scene now, damn it. Uh, <laughs> but he goes in there and he's, and he's just done a whole day of bugging and invading people's privacy. And when you see the four locks on the outside of his door, you think, this is a man who invent, you know, doesn't want anyone to come in. He loves his values, his privacy. And then he goes and turns off the alarm and there's a bottle of wine there that says, happy birthday, because it's his birthday. And I don't think it's hilarious. I think it's just a lovely touch, you know, from a script that is a bit uneven. I mean, it's a great, it's a great concept, I suppose. It's, it's really a good concept for an hour-long television show or something like that, an episode, which has been spun out a bit and is a bit portentious, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit pretentious and, or pretentious. Uh, but that is a nice shot uh, scene because it pokes a hole in them. He gets... His um, ego poked a lot in this because people do him in uh, through the film. Well, and and that's funny that scene, even though it's probably there really as a as a light moment within what is a fairly well, kind of paced. I won't say slow, but kind of paced delivery of the story essentially. Mm. But what that scene does, even though it is funny, is really makes the end sequence, mm. like the very end sequence, make. Um, so much more sense. Absolutely right. Mm. Because he is clearly trying to control. He has a very ma- a major control problem. He wants to be able to control his environment. He wants to be able to control the people that are in his life. And, and not, not out of uh, hunger for power, but sort of out of his own fear, really. He's just fearful that he's going to make the same mistake again or, you yes. know, for his whole life. And, 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 but and what mistake is that? Uh, I think that's, that's for later on in the um, in the in the in the bar scene, I think we have to talk about that too because he's responsible for um, uh, sad happenings to people in his past life. I think that, that, that we could put that in without being a, 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 a deal spoiler, is that um, Absolutely. in, the, uh, in yeah. the bar room scene, his, uh, uh, what, his, uh, you know, the fellow who wants to be a partner with him says, oh, you, you did this a bugging job and then uh, three people got you know, killed and their heads were in different spots. And you can see Gene, our character, Harry. Is there any, any, any um, sorry for Harry's out there, but is there any more name more innocuous and private and forgettable <laughs> than Harry? And Harry, and Call is a great name, Call, C-A-U-L. Call is um, you're, you're born in your, no. you're born in your. C C A W L. Is it? No, no, I think That's I it. thought it was C A U L. I thought it was cool, and I immediately went to the the sheath that the babies are born in. Um, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, okay. but that's just you know I'm just thinking um, laterally. Uh, I digress. But anyway, the um, the the idea of um, of bugging, uh, the implications of bugging is that um, bugging is dangerous, and that um, he um, you know mm. is in some ways a total professional and tunes out and turns off and all that sort of stuff. But yet he's very much uh, responsible uh, or is, you know, feels responsible for his actions, which is uh, a strange dichotomy. Well, it's like, it's like people in that industry where they, whether it's to do with, it could be a sniper or it could be, you know, an expert. It could be some sort of bomb expert or whatever. It could be anything like that. They cross a line and that's the story that's often told, Mm. isn't it? With it ceases to become just a job anymore, and and they but they don't 
Yeah, they don't know. They're the last ones to realise that it's time to retire. Mm. You know, and that's that's where that's the problem he's having. We're which witnessing him going through his transition into retirement, and and he's not only is blind to it, but he's reluctant, and he's also blind to it. Mm. Which um, it's not. It's a story that's been told before, and I suppose it's one of the things that's, if you want to say anything, is a problem with this mm. film, is that we are we're sort of. We're seeing that the awkwardness around that transition, yes. that's, that's something that's sort of going to happen to all of us, which, um, which, is, which is great. That's what we expect films to do, I mm. think, is to, is to hold the mirror up a yeah. bit, you know. I think that uh, what it is with him is that he doesn't revel in his own cleverness. Uh, that that he has you know uh, you know power over um, you know the spoken word and being able to record everything and he's so clever um, and, and he's certainly in, in the and with all his gadgetry um, but he has sort of no ego he's sort of so selfless he um, he's incapable of having relationships um, he he is he is uh, clunky all he wants to do is play his jazz and and uh, emulate or actually add on to the great jazz classics. Which I quite like. I mean, you could do that forever, but it's not a life. The man does not have mm. a life. He just has a bunch of no. gadgets um, and John Cazaly, which is not really uh, exactly <laughs> ideal. No, it's not. But it's, it sort of reminds me, you know, like he's so capable. He's so he has so much power at his fingertips that he can he can put people in very precarious situations where they have done in the past died, so that he's unaware of his own power and it's kind of like the guy who invented the atomic bomb mm. before they put it before they sent it over japan yes. or wherever, yes. wherever it went for the first yep. time the sign like he, he was famously quoted for saying something like you know I, I, I built it so we'd never have to use it sort of thing yeah. but um you know people like that they just need to say right well, I'm clever enough to be able to do this, but does that mean I should do That's it? That's right. Was Was Oppenheimer really? Mm. Um, you know, did he sleep well after? You know, um, the uh, the bomb fell. Who knows? Uh, probably not. But in mm. this case, it's uh, the idea of having power and being able to, um, you know, to uh, jump into people's conversations. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting though yeah. uh, when you think of this. There's paranoia under paranoia because when you think of who. He's, you know, the, the couple are there in the square from the very beginning. He goes back and revisits it. Was the conversation meant to be recorded by him? This is the thing. Mm. This is the lovely thing about Wheels Within Wheels because, you know, he doesn't know yeah. whether he makes the conversation. He makes a co connection a with point. the FBI or whatever, the CIA, and the fellow wants to grab it. And I love that thing where he grabs the... the um, um, the uh, the tape and they they're wrestling for it and he, he said I'll give it to you in my own, <laughs> at my own time but you see that's really yeah. the part the tape is really in the part it was of, kind of funny it was too. it was there were some light moments in this um, and especially with Harrison Ford doing it because right. you just you know he would normally just wrench it off here wouldn't he? be such just the hero mm. you know yeah. but it's so it's such a feeble little exchange between the two of them yeah. that's, and, and, and this is yeah. this is the thing that you know in that uh, conversation, um, you know the, the the girl in the square at the time says, "There's a fellow with an earplug in, 
and he's been following us and all that sort of stuff. And this is where they think they've been sprung and they pull the plug. But I, I'm thinking that, you know, with in those days, in the 1960s, you know, big paranoia, 70s, and we're talking about post-Cold War, we're talking about, um, you know, everyone's bugging, you know, you, you know, your life's not your own. But in this way, it's a nice bit of a turnaround because you don't know whether that conversation that, that they're having is meant to be hoovered up by, um, you know, our, our hero, Harry, to be given to lure someone else into a trap. Uh, which indeed happens, mm. you see. So this is the idea of... That's exactly what happens. Yes, yeah. this is the, uh, the, the thing about paranoia, is the, 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 the trick in the tail, which um, sort of occurred to me uh, in my, uh, the state I was in those days. Uh, I thought, oh, that's clever. You know, that was a bit of a... Cause I don't know whether we should give away... We, do we give away plots at the end? I don't know. We do. Yeah, we give it away. I mean, that's, that's the thing with this, is that because we're... So going so far down amnesia lane mm. that for the most part people um well we want to encourage people to watch these. Oh, films, I think, of I think course, it's a great but, film and they should but, watch it, folks. But for the most part, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes when the cat's out of the bag, mm. you sort of want to go back and find out how it got in there. Yes. You don't care too much that the cat's out of the bottom. People, we, we think we're too paranoid about the spoiler alert fact. I think so. Yeah. And a great work Sometimes, of art. I mean, you, when you see the birth of Venus, you see all of the birth of Venus. No spoiler alert. You just see it. Um, and you study it. And the good films should be studied the same way. It's just that they, they have their own narrative. But no, forget it. Forget about that yeah. narrative. Forget about it. But I think that's an interesting point, though, that, that the – who is it that needs that recording? And that's that's where the context comes it comes into it. it. Because when the when the photos are delivered, because through a through a the trickery of womanliness, mm, the wizardry of the womanliness, room? yes, yes, the tapes are acquired by the well bad guys. Let's just yes, call right. it that. the femme fatale, um, but, who was um, really a nice girl. In fact, he's a sucker for girls, actually, because um, um, girls um, play a, a role in his life, and he's no good at girls. Um, he trusts them. He's not. He's terrible at girls. Mm. Um, he's he's ter- he trusts them, and at the same time, he can't he can't uh, resist them. Line him, align himself up mm. with uh, with any one of them in you know in any sort of strident or definite way, mm. but the. Uh, because when he goes in to, to deliver those photos, and this is going to be a massive spoiler mm. alert for those who are looking for the conspiracy mm-hmm. theory mm-hmm. angle. The obviously the jilted husband, who's played by another fantastic actor. Oh, oh God! Now we're going to forget his name, aren't we? Of course we are. He was in The Godfather. He played the um, Consigliere. Oh, why can't we do this? Well, you we're that? terrible at this. You smell that. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the apocalypse now, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I knew yeah. I forget this at the same Look, time that you did. Anyway, he's a great actor. We'll come back to us very soon. But anyone who's listening to this already knows his yeah. name because we've just referenced pretty much every film he's ever been in. All right, he is the jilted husband who's obviously older, and he's with the younger girl yeah. who's, you know, for whatever yeah. reason. But he's uh, clearly upset, and and uh, but. The, he says to his assistant, who is the Harrison Ford character, you know, I've heard enough. And the, you know, what, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to, do you want me to listen to every, every word they, you know? And Harrison Ford character says, well, I just want you to know the truth so that when you respond, you know, whatever, you know, I just want you to know the truth. 
it's kind of like, oh, so the assistant character yeah. is forcing him to listen to these tapes. Yeah. It's almost as that strange because yeah. then was it the assistant that that requisitioned or whatever organised the tapes or? Oh, now for, the listener won't re- recognise any of this, but there was a break in transmission due to a technical problem, but it did allow us the opportunity to discover that actor's name. Robert Duvall. Robert one Duvall. Of, another one of the great actors of all time. And he does, hardly, he does hardly anything in this no, film. He's no. got that one scene in the office with uh, Harrison Ford. And, and then he's, he's in a plastic bag, um, cut to pieces. Yeah, is he ever. Crikey. Now, that's the other thing. Is that, isn't that interesting? Like at the end with that hotel scene where the uh, Mr. Harry, he's going through the hotel room expecting to see some evidence of the carnage mm. and he can't find a trace of blood or, or anything anywhere. Oh, that's a slow burn isn't it that's a, that's the cracker of the movie is yeah. that he goes next door he's heard violence because he's bug he's gone into the uh, the, the room next door and mm. uh, and bugged it and done all the due diligence and he wanted to get mayhem and you know what he does as soon as he hears the mayhem he just hides under the, the duvet of the bed, <laughs> you know, yeah, he, yeah. Is, he is absolutely um, a wet. And this is the thing that worries me about it because he's such a clever bloke. And then, you know, out of everything that he could rise to, he doesn't. He's um, totally and utterly impotent as a person. He is only a recording. He's not even a, 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 a microphone. You can feel and touch a microphone. You can buy and sell them. He, this fellow here is really just a bundle of nerves um, from a Catholic background, who is totally afraid uh, and fearful of um, you know everything that he does, um, he is such a it's such a complex yet simple character at the same time. It's hideous. Mm-hmm. It it's it's strange that he should put himself in the position where he's going to be confronted with his worst, well, his worst fear in that situation, and when it happens, uh, yeah he responds in the worst possible way. So, you know, it's well, kind of like it's, it's, yeah. it, it didn't really someone, that's why sometimes I think, you know, the person's talent, like his ability to be able to record conversation happening anywhere between any, anyone. Uh, it's like one of those satellites that can uh, send a, a, a scud, a skid missile or whatever they're called to, mm. to blow up the, the neighbor's, neighbor's cat. Mm. You know, it's like there's so mm. much, so much accuracy. So he's got all this ability to do it, but, what he what the consequences of it for him as an emotional being is often sometimes too much to handle. It's kind of like Elvis Presley. His talent was was bigger than he was as a person. He just wasn't able to manage it very well. I don't think. That's right, especially when there was a burger on the plate. Uh, that's right. Well, yeah, like, this is it. And a can um, and a jar and, of peanut butter. But I, I wonder. There's a thesis in this, and you know, we give away a lot of theses. Oh. Um, you know, um, you know, we like we, you know, like it's full we, of it's full of theses. We are full of theses, um, but the uh, the uh, uh, ask anyone the uh, the thing that I uh, that always confuses me about um, you know uh, filmmakers like Scorsese is that they always have this Catholic upbringing where there's this guilt and shame um, and uh, you know devotion uh, to Mary and all that sort of stuff and uh, Coppola sort of lets it loose here. I don't know whether it's from him or whatever, but you, you've got all these um, these things where people have doubt and yet they go and do evil anyway. You know, yeah. and then they go and, and they go to the, um, you know, um, there's a scene where 
um, Harry's, you know, I, I think he goes to the church, doesn't he? And he, and he says, I have, um, uh, you know, I had impure thoughts. I stole some uh, newspapers and I had three people killed, you know, <laughs> just by the by. Um, you know, but there's this thing that I, I don't get being a good Anglo-Saxon CV. You know, happily, you know, I can be, you know, evil uh, in the, you know, Mr. Burns sort of tradition. And yet uh, the, all these films sort of rehash this idea of, you know, the idea of guilt and, and whatnot, and yet they're compelled. I mean, this whole film was about compulsion. Uh, Harry is compulsively, um, you know, exercising his life or the shell that is his life um, in order to please who? Why? It's, you know, it's a lot of it's about ego, I reckon. And even though he underplays it very, very well, he is proud of what he does. And he's, uh, he doesn't mind it that everyone uh, admires him at that um, convention. He's pretty happy with that, actually, yeah. which I think is quite interesting and a nice a nice way to play that character in that situation. But the um, it's a bit like Frankenstein. It's a whole Frankenstein mythology. I see I see it happening in that way as well. Not so much about the creation as such, which in this particular film conversation, it's all about the creation of the technology to be able to do all these amazing things. Mm. But in this instance, it's more the focus on the actual Doctor Frankenstein, who mm. created. A monster. Now, yeah, he but never he's, he's, he's a head doctor, though. He's a head Frankenstein because everything mm. else is just sort of um, for conventions. I love the idea that conventions have made for people to eavesdrop on everyone else. I mean, that's <laughs> a big theme of this. But yeah, he is so yeah. good. He is so rarefied that no one's going to find out what he, how he um, deals with things. And that's his pride. It's the pride of um, uh, w- w- what is the uh, Seven Deadly Sins? Conceit. Uh, pride. Um, that is his, um, his genius, uh, big stu- stum- stumbling block in his life, um, and that uh, I don't think allows him to get a- a- outside of himself. And he doesn't then contact with other people. He is very, very um, uh, uncont. He has no ability to form bonds. Mm, um, well, that's, yeah, that's right. And it's the same with lots of people who are obsessive in that way. It's like like with Frankenstein, like I was saying, which I, mm, I'm, mm. I, I shouldn't harp on about necessarily, but it's like in one breath he says, it's alive, mm. you know, and then the next breath he says, what have I done? It's kind of mm. like, mate, you mm. didn't think about that beforehand, mm. that you're putting yep. together a, a freakish... Well, yeah, well, Frankenstein didn't say, well, I'm a professional and I just built him because I could. Well, yeah, I suppose I was, Oppenheimer else, did the same thing. I was, I was a professional and we put all these parts together and then we, we knew that this thing would hype up and then blow the absolute bejesus out of a city. Um, you don't know what it's for. And this is the thing about technology of all technologies. That theme is there writ large. The thing is that he, he's, his compulsion means... He's so clever in his underground lair, you know, just, uh, that, that mm. sort of notion of being sneaky Pete, all that sort of stuff, um, is that um, he, he has a, a, a quiet pride in intruding into other people's lives, but he doesn't like it into his own at no, all. No, he doesn't. And there's consequences, you know, in both, in both cases, which, you know, just strikes me as kind of like you never thought you never thought this through all the way. Like, why did you say yes to that $15,000? I mean, what, Mm. what is it? If it's going to be, surely the consequences must have occurred to you that, you know, it's kind of like with genius, you know, just because I can do something, you know, doesn't mean Mm. I should. Should do. So anyway, that's, it is, it is strange, isn't it? When it comes back and bites him on the bum. 
It's kind yeah. of like, oh, this is what it's like to be one of the my right. targets. Well, this is it, and this is where the the big um, the twist and the uh, the tale of the of the film is that um, he has obviously been um, uh, too sentimental about the lovely couple who are in there. The, the lovely couple who are in there, who has been bugging, are actually concocting a murder plan to lure, um, you know, the maybe the husband of one of the lovely, lovely couple um, to his death. Um, mm. And he doesn't get that till the end, and neither do us, uh, we, uh, the viewers. And I suppose that's what we are. We're all in the dark, and there are forces greater than us that are... Uh, uh, that are at play, and I think you know maybe it's a it's a theme of uh, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, the idea that um, who has the power in the end, who has the final say, who is really pulling the shots, uh, who's manipulating who, uh, when it comes down to it, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, and poor old Harry realizes he's been maybe taken for a bit of a, a ride. Mm. Um, I like how it's all it all centers and a lot of tension built around that one line which can't be heard. In the in the first sort of uh, version of the recording, and he has to filter it through his own little special little he's got to know, be that good. things that he's this right. He's like if you weren't if you were just a little bit if you weren't so good at your job, mm. then you would never have had your your conscience troubled, and all it would have yes. been was fifteen thousand dollars in your pocket, and mm. you walk away. But yes, you know, he, did, you just, he did the job too well, didn't he? And Robert Duvall right. finds out where the hotel is, you know, because he's done his job far too well. Mm, that's right. It's it's all, yeah. It's um, uh, it's it's a strange. It's a, tr- the tragedy of the. It's a self destruction, really, which is in, in a strange kind of way. It's kind mm. of like um, yeah, you caused the death of a of a family or something, wasn't it? A previous yes. version of your yes. own existence. That's it. Uh, um, but the, but the, still, the wannabe uh, partner says, and their heads were elsewhere. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird. Actually, it's one of the clunkiest uh, scenes in the whole film. Is that? Hey, should we go back to um, one of the, uh, the the scenes that I really do like? And in fact, we were going to do this. We don't know what scene we're doing yet, and what's the scene. But <laughs> um, there's a really good scene that I, I think is is masterful in terms of writing because he goes to see his girlfriend. He does. Who, uh, it lives in an apartment, and she's kind of a goofy. I loved her. She's sort of left to feel goofy, and she's kind of pretty, and she's in bed, and it's one of those classic things where she's in a, a kind of bed which is kind of old, and the apartment's kind of old, and she's sort of happy with the lunk, and she says, you don't t- ever tell me anything, Harry. He mm. comes in, and he fusses around and, and leans on the door with the key, you know, to... to I mean, the whole thing is he, it's all about betrayal for him, any relationship. Yeah. And she's there and saying, I know you never tell me anything about yourself. And this is the thing about poor Harry, this is nothing to tell. What I love about that scene is when she comes across very much as if she's just a kept woman, sort of in a, in a, in a shoebox in a kind way. Of floozy, in a floozy tradition. Yeah, not necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed and, and mm. all those other stereotyping things. Mm. But, but, then loving, that... but a lovable character, I quite was quite Absolutely. But then, but then she goes into a full description of how she knows that he's approaching, that he's getting close. He explains, she explains how the key, you know, she does it, thinks mm. the key goes in really quietly because, mm. uh, you know, and then he pauses just to, and then when he gets the chance, he turns and opens the door really quickly, expecting to catch. You know, she goes through this yeah. whole explanation, and then about she starts all this humming, secret little she, spy stuff that he's that he's right. supposed to and, be doing. 
And the thing is, he says, and when the red, red, red robin goes, bob, 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 and, along, and, along, and he yeah. just freezes yeah. and looks at her in his raincoat, which I think he was born in. That's his call. And, uh, and he says, uh, where did you hear that? And this is where you get the idea that that's a, that notion of wheels within wheels, of um, yeah. you know, paranoia within paranoia. Well, I was just humming it, dear, you know. Yeah. And uh, he, that's when he knows that pretty maybe sad. something's up. Is she part of it? Who knows? Well, in that one scene, though, mm. I mean, in that scene, we, we get the establishing shot of their relationship of the lack of it. And then he pays the rent. And then she, he leaves because he can't deal with it. And she says, I don't think we can... I can I can wait for you anymore, Harry. And in that very small time, I think that is one of the most compact scenes in all of filmdom in what it what it achieves. Yeah, it's true actually, because he doesn't even like they they go through a sort of a love making little ritual dance of sorts. They mm. but then they go through the through the um, let's have a talk kind of vibe and. But that they start with you know, honey, I'm home. You know, it's got this. It's yeah. got all the. It's got the whole. 40, it's like a whole relationship in four of, minutes of marriage. Mm. Yeah, they've gone forty years to four minutes. That's exactly right. Mm. It's it's clever that you know, and it is it is to me it is so dense. It's almost like a black hole of of uh, of a relationship that uh, it can all be you know taken down to this nub that he pays the rent. You know, and and wants to wants to uh, make love to her, but can't because it's not something in him that he can't do it anymore. And she says, "You're right, we can't." And then he goes and he leaves. And I'm thinking, "Geez, my God, um, that is so compact. That is uh, screenwriting. That is very. It, it's almost too good." Yes, and he does. He underestimates her entirely, and he does that for, for everyone else as well. You know, he's he does. I think that's where it's interesting is that even though it's not explicit he is he's a bit of an ego driven sort of guy you know absolutely and and i think that's that's like he underestimates the other woman who ends up stealing the tapes he uh i think he underestimates his sidekick you know the kazal character Mm. um you know he underestimates the harrison ford character he never sees that coming he's he gets um he's a man in the woods really he's um he's um you know, you know, when he even fights with the FBI men on the stairs at the end, it's sort of like a bit, everything's a, a bitch fight with him. But there's no, he's not a hero anyways. He's he's um, sort of a neutered sort of character. Can I just mm. say though um, that when uh, just one part of the film that I really enjoyed is when the girl is uh, approaching him in his warehouse, and she's going at him and Harry. This is the femme fatale who steals the tape. And she walks into the middle of the room and she puts her foot out and then she puts her foot back and then pivots on it um, as if, and, and we don't know it then, but she's thinking of how best to approach our man. Just that, that's, I'm not, I'm not going to go on to it any more than that, yeah. but I thought that is a beautiful um, bit of choreography um, in, a, in a large room. You won't get that in a lot of movies. Uh, only Francis Ford Coppola and that beautiful girl actress could do that. She's great. Yeah, anyway. I agree. That that's one of those things where it's like, where you give the actor the chance to do that that physical acting, oh, you know, that yes. that body mm. acting, which um, which mm. Harrison Ford actually talks about it really well. He's he mm. loved like, and he does that really well, especially in the uh, Indiana Jones films. You know, he uses his whole body to convey 
the apprehension, the the, the, the mm. indecision, the mm. the um, forthrightness, and all these uh, all mm. these uh, all this language that comes out through his body. You know, if unfortunately there wasn't a, wasn't a, there's not an Oscar for that. You know? No, and, and um, fortunately, I, I think it's getting less and less because you have, you know, uh, you know, there are less and less long shots, or you know, those, that's uh, true. you know, t- you know, uh, floor to ceiling shots, as I like to think of them, uh, where you do see people um, uh, dealing with each other because why, everything's you know, done on a everything's done on a budget. You know, but the, the actors there on a Tuesday and uh, Thursday, and the other actors there on a Wednesday and Friday. Um, long so long you, shots. You know, where they get that? The long shots are expositional. They're establishing shots these days just for, to, you know, to mm. make sure there are any holes in the narrative uh, as opposed to being a chance for cutting, getting rid of some words, you know. Let's, yeah. let's, let, let's let this uh, part be told in some other way instead of always having to have actors talk. I mean, some actors just yeah. aren't good at that, well, you know. Well, they react. I mean, faces, these um, actors these days, they've got their voice, which is, you know, they're fading out, voices are fading out, but it's the, um, the idea of... Um, uh, um, um, you know, reactions. They just do reactions and they talk and then, and that's it. Um, um, anyway, the um, Joachim Phoenix is very good at, um, at oh, body acting. Oh, great. Absolutely. Have, and have you seen The Joker yet? I haven't. I'm going to see it, but I'm a bit afraid to, especially in the, um, the zombie you, apocalypse that we're into. You moment. should be afraid. Uh, I know, but can I be even more afraid? That's up to the next. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we should do that film next. If we, if, I, if, think if, we, if, I think we'll have to. If you can bring yourself, I'll tell you what, that's not an easy film to watch. But it's in the style of. Can we make sense of it? Can you tell me, can you assure me, uh, Adam, that we can make sense of the um, the Joker, or is it an apocalyptic film which has now been overtaken by an apocalypse? I think we could make sense. We could make sense of it. The in that it's uh, it's probably forecasting or telling telling mm. a version of the future that uh, is going to be uh, more familiar to us, I think, than than the world that we've that we've been growing up in, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, strangely enough. Um, Because the apocalypse, I don't think when the apocalypse comes, which is evidently in about seven months from now. um, Depending where you are on the old uh, website, on the old dirt ball, folks. um, (laughs) The apocalypse is coming to you. Yes, the apocalypse is coming to you in six months now or your date, you'll be two weeks behind. Or I think we're we're two weeks behind. USA are two weeks behind Spain and we're two weeks behind the USA and someone else, New Zealand's three weeks behind us, but that's always been the case. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. 15, 25 years behind. But anyway, <laughs> but, that's, but there are lovely people and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, there's not. We're just joking. We're joking. Mm. But what we will have to say um, in the apocalyptic mode, and we, we should not uh, devolve on this because you know, people are saying this, is the world will never be the same again. So a lot of people sitting in their rooms thinking the world has changed and will never be the same again. How, what means to me? What, is, what do I value? And um, I reckon, um, you know, all this, you know, all this money that's lying in vaults around the world and offshore um, things that no one can get to, I might add, and no one can spend, I might add. Um, there'll be a, it, it is a new, it's a ground uh, changing, you know, it's a uh, notion. So you know, watch the space, and I think everyone is. Uh, so yeah. yeah. 
it's it's hard. I think the picture is going to emerge slowly over a long period of time, and that that would be an interesting thing to watch because uh, you know there's people forced inside their own homes and they've got the power of the internet at their fingertips. Well, more, possibly, more time. More I mean, time thank God this have. happened now rather than ten years ago. Otherwise, uh, we'd all be axe ax murdering each other, and and uh, you know to a greater degree than we that will happen. Um, mm. So at least we have diversion, but. Um, you know, we are very early into it. Now, let's say if America was to go into, uh, um, you know, a 60-day lockdown with all the guns and weapons and handguns and all that sort of stuff in people's houses, um, you know, and who's going to watch the television and, and, uh, and who's cleaning the toilet next? Who knows? What's that space? So what we mm. need to do is um, understand that we all have to be very good to each other. And I, know, I don't mean to demoralise or whatever, but it, it comes down to uh, make love, not war, at this particular moment in time. It does indeed. And I'll tell you what, uh, if you, when you do it, when you do it, there's still two, two metres somehow. You've got to... That's right. Yeah, that's, it's easier. That's... War, war is easier, mm. actually. At two metres. Um, at two metres. Love is harder, um, yeah. but it can be done. <laughs> It can be done, or you it just give someone a hug, and it's done in done. no meters. So that's the thing. So if you're in yeah. a house, you hug. hug someone right now and say, um, you know, um, uh, no fear uh, in um, uh, weaponry uh, and mm. all that sort of stuff. So uh, this and is um, just put on a hazmat suit first, or at the very least, you can put on the raincoat that Gene Hackman wears oh. in the film. The conversation. Surely capable of diverting plutonium radiation. Oh, God, that, that, that's, it's got to be bulletproof. It's got to be insult-proof. It's got to be... Soundproof. Um, soundproof, <laughs> obviously. What it isn't, though, is not paranoia-proof. That's, no. That's old, and if you watch the last, very last sequence of the film, folks, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. Well, and, and well, we should describe it. His place, he's tearing apart uh, the place, looking for the bug that the uh, FBI or the CIA, whoever, insert uh, agency, uh, and they've just, uh, and it could be actually the gadget in the phone. Uh, that insert is, that, insert that, agency that, here. Yes, that, um, that his mate was selling at that uh, cheapy place that they might have um, just, just taken his phone off for a minute and, and re- returned his, uh, his uh, saxophone. And then you, what do you know? And he's, to- he's torn his whole world apart and he's quite happy blowing the saxophone. And I'm saying, good luck to you, Gene. Good luck to you, Harry. Uh, well done. And mm. on that note, should it be on that note, Adam? It should definitely be on that note. I think uh, we've given the listeners oh, an absolute uh, bucket load of earful. Is that right? Did I say a that talk right? fest of earfulness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're going to do it again soon. So, oh, we don't don't threaten them that way. No, no, we are. No, we are. They're we on are. the edge of the seat, saying, "When will you? When will you come back?" And we will. <laughs> we will oh, be back. Like the apocalypse will come yeah. back. Indeed. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, until next time. Bye-bye.